You're listening to WXOJLP Northampton, and this is Care Talk with Quick and Quack, coming to you from our beautiful penthouse studio in Florence, Massachusetts. This is doctors Evan Benjamin and Bill Cutler talking to you about health and health care. We'll be talking to each other with guests, and we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at caretalk at valleyfreeradio.org. We'd love to hear your stories about health and navigating the healthcare system. So excited to be back broadcasting Care Talk. Evan, what do we have in store on today's show? Well, Bill, this is our third show. We've got uh, a lot on on deck here. Uh, we are going to talk a little bit about uh, how we pay pay people in our health system. How do we pay doctors, and and uh, how do we manage the the incentives around uh, healthcare? Money, 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 money. It's all about money, Bill. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, a real challenging uh, problem that we see is uh, around shortages of physicians uh, and what we can perhaps do about that. Oh my goodness, that is a big that is a big topic. Big topic. We might even have to do more than just one one show on that one. I agree. Uh, but also, I want to share a little bit about uh, what we can learn from other countries and their health systems. So we're going to talk a little bit about the country of uh, Costa Rica. Costa Rica. Looking forward to it. All right. This sounds and, like a good show. And then finally, uh, I think we'll have uh, some some of our uh, listeners' uh, stories that we'll we'll chat a little bit about. Oh, looking forward to it. Stay with us. Evan, we've got a couple shows under our belt here of Care Talk and Quick and Quack. We're on our third show now. And I feel like it's really important here. We're broadcasting from the uh, Penthouse Studios at WXOJLP. And we've got uh, our listening audience seems to be growing by leaps and bounds. I think we're approaching uh, double digits now. And um, We've got two emails. That's excellent. That's excellent. Um, we also want to... Uh, I feel like it's important that we really level and be honest with our listeners because, you know, uh, honesty is really important in healthcare. If you're coming into a medical care setting and you want to get good healthcare, it's really important that you that you feel comfortable to be open and honest with your provider. It's also really helpful the other way around for the people working in the healthcare system to be honest and open with the people that they're uh, that they're dealing with. So. 
in that vein, um, I feel like we need to kind of come clean and let our listeners know that up until now, we are not actually live here in the studio when you're listening to this show. We've been pre-recording it, and that's, that's a barrier because it means that you can't call up and talk to us. So uh, I, I want to let people know that, but I, I want to explain a little bit that, you know, we have a, a lot of training in our background. We've uh, trained in medicine, and, um, and we've been practicing for years at doing that. And at Radio Work, we've been practicing for a couple of weeks. And honestly, I think if the uh, powers that be here at WXOJ saw us fumbling around with the board and seeing how we struggle with this, they'd probably boot us out of this beautiful penthouse studio with a gorgeous view. It'd probably make us broadcast out of that little studio down in the basement with a little window up near the ceiling. But uh, at any rate, we are working towards uh, being ready down the road, perhaps a few weeks from now, to take some live calls from our listeners. We just want, I, I want our listeners to know to kind of get ready. You can communicate with us at caretalk at valleyfreeradio.org. Let us know what your concerns are about the healthcare system and feel confident that down the road, we're going to provide a venue to get you on the air with us. Bill, that's great. I love your your transparency. Uh, we, we talk a lot about the need for transparency in healthcare, people to have open and honest conversations about the care that they deliver and, and sometimes the mistakes that they, they made. Um, and so we will uh, be coming to you uh, live. I think that's great. Uh, I, I also believe that you know, getting some information, allowing our listeners to email us at caretalk at valleyfreeradio.org uh, to tell us your stories. We are happy to, to read them and to bring them onto the show uh, and reflect upon them uh, and uh, the, on, along the bigger picture of health and health care, and hopefully we can, we can help. So until we're live, uh, please keep emailing us. Right, that, yeah, that's great. I feel much better now, Evan. I've gotten that off my chest, and we can get on with the show. Fantastic, Bill. Thank you so much.
I've been waiting for the taste you said you'd bring to me. Biscayne Bay, where the Cuban gentlemen sleep all day. I went searching for the song you used to sing. thinking I might just surprise you with a little question here that I think is up up, uh, up your alley. Is, it, uh, is this our version of Stump the Chump? <laughs> I guess we could call it that. We could call it that. Okay. Uh, but um, I, I've got here uh, in my hand, it's not a laundry list, but actually it's, it's the Journal of the American Medical Association, JAMA, um, from July. And there are, there are two viewpoint articles in here. The first one is called The Medicare Physician Fee Schedule and Unethical Behavior. And the second one related says Medicare physician payment in need of major repair, um, and I'm not going to really go into all the details that are brought up in those in, in those viewpoint articles, but it it, it comes to the uh, one of the sort of crux issues that that I sort of see in the healthcare system is that we've got this system that's sort of set up um, with a lot of money involved, and and people work in it to make a living. And uh, and yet people go to access the the, the system to try to g get health care and um, and and the question is how do you set up a, a payment structure to pay the people who are providing health care that aligns well with uh, um, trying to provide care for people? Uh, uh, what kind of thoughts do you have on that, Bill? That's a huge question, huge question, and. Uh, We've been trying to solve this for a long time. Uh, we we look at other countries and we say how how are they organizing their their payment models? Uh, we look at the history in our country of trying to figure out how we got here. So as you know, most care in the United States is in what we refer to as a uh, fee for service system, which means that. Every time a service is performed, a doctor sees a patient or a procedure is done or there's an emergency room visit, a bill is sent to either Medicare, if they're a Medicare patient, or to a private insurance company. Um, or to the patient if they don't happen to have insurance. Yes. Now, and we still have about 10% of patients in the United States without insurance. The, the ACA cut that in half. It had been about 20%. But we still have 10% people who don't have insurance, so absolutely right. The, the bill is sent to whoever is designated 
to pay. Um, the problem being with a FIFA service model is it sets up incentives to do more, right? It's it's well, well, you you get what you pay for, right? So so if you, if you pay for for more procedures, if you right. if you pay a lot for procedures, you're going to get a lot of procedures, right? That's right. So if if the system is set up to pay for an event or an encounter, that's what you get. As opposed to creating a system where you pay for health and you create incentives to say, if you keep this population as healthy as you can as a, let's say, a primary care doctor, then you're paid for to, do, to take care of health. A lot of uh, countries have created uh, just what we, refer, what we see salaried physicians. They just get a single salary. They have a panel of patients that they care for to take care with using that salary. They get a budget that can support a nursing staff, uh, social workers, and others. And they have to do their best to maintain the health of that population. And they're all salary. It isn't an incentive that the more you do, the more you get paid. So these, this is other countries where they where they do that. Or yes, and yeah. there. I mean, there's uh, some there, examples. Well, I, well, I work in a salaried system in this country, but but one of the things I'm curious about is that is that um, you know I was fortunate to go to a state university medical school in, in Massachusetts that was uh, very reasonably priced and and. Um, but a lot of people, you know, coming into the healthcare field, particularly physicians, you know, will have had loans from college, loans from medical school. Uh, they could be hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt by the time they actually get out get out to practice. And uh, and, and and doesn't that really skew where you know their their choices in terms of what what types of healthcare that they want to provide? And this is this is one of the big problems uh, is a lot of physicians coming out of medical school have a lot of loans um, and not only does it skew how they want to be reimbursed and to respond to those incentives but it's even what specialty to choose sure. um, you know primary care uh, we'll probably have a whole show on primary care um, you know primary care good primary care systems have shown to improve health more, to have lower costs of care, to really be the, the, the cornerstone of the health system. And yet, we have such a hard time getting medical students to choose primary care, in part because it's a lower paying specialty and Absolutely. they have all these loans. So we've created a system where people, students coming out, want to go into the higher paying specialties and so the, our, our ratio... Yeah, you get what you pay for. Yeah, our <laughs> ratio of doctors in this country is about two-thirds of doctors are specialists and about one-third is primary care. We believe to really have an efficient healthcare system that can really improve the health of our population, it needs to be closer to about 50-50. So yeah. we're, we're stuck there right now. Okay, so, so I'm, you know, I, I, I'm no expert in these uh, uh, larger public health measures and things but, but having worked in the trenches I've actually had some thoughts about this can I can I you know float them by you as a, you know a, uh, as a, a systems expert let's, let's hear all right so my thought is that if somebody that that it's it's desirable to having people work as as physicians it should be a helpful thing for society and other healthcare fields too and so I think that for fields that we desire people to go into it, rather than making people pay to go to medical school, 
we should actually pay people to go to medical school. And if they if they if they they can just be starting in the healthcare field, if you go to medical school and you do a good job in your first year, you get to go to the second year and 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 get paid a little more to do the second year. You go to the third year, get paid a little more. As you go through your training, get paid a little bit more, and then enter into a salaried position where where all specialties would be paid the same. And at that point, people would decide to do what they go into a specialty because it's what they want to do. If, if they decided to, 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 to do five more years of training to, to be a surgeon and years beyond that to be a neurosurgeon, that's wonderful. And we would continue to pay them to do that. But when they come out as a superbly trained neurosurgeon, that's great but they don't necessarily need to be paid more at that point than somebody who's doing the hard work of primary care. Bill, you're, you're, you're talking you know, a revolution in, in our health care. Um, I like it. I like your idea. Uh, good. It. Well, let's just start it right now then. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, th- we're, we're, remember we got here, <clears throat> there was a path. And this path, it's really important to understand the history, how we got where we are today. Um, it, remember... The, uh, the U.S. healthcare system is nearly 20% of our GDP. What's, that's one-fifth of ev- all and, of our dollars. And, and, that, and that's like wildly out of proportion compared to other countries, right? Well, it's a double. The, 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 we are double. The, the second most expensive country in the world is Switzerland, and it's about 10% of the, the GDP. So we, are, we spend so much on healthcare, and we, we pay people well, too. Doctors... Uh, at hospitals are reimbursed at much higher rates than other countries. And we've developed this system that where people, doctors, can choose the specialties they want to go to. They can choose the higher paid specialties. I like where you're going. I think the idea is, <clears throat> w- you know, a theme of our show has been in create intentional systems. Right now, we sort of have a free-for-all. There isn't really a system. You go to medical school, you pay very expensive uh, tuition fees, but in exchange, you can do what you want. You can choose the specialty what you want. You can live where you want. What other places have done is they've tried to create a system. They've said, you know, to run this country, to run a health system that's effective and efficient, we need 50% of the doctors to be primary care. Therefore, we, the, the governing bodies will decide who who can become what? Well, you know, you know, I mean, in some ways, we have we have a little bit of that in this country now. So that, you know, when I was in in uh, in, in medical school, I believe that the hardest residency program to get into was ophthalmology. Uh, you needed to be a really sharp, really good, and to to be able to 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 do that. And and there were very limited positions in ophthalmology. So so there were only going to be so many ophthalmologists trained. Uh, so, so we do have some of that now, um, where people can get, you know, there there are limited numbers of, of training slots in, in, in for for different fields. Yes, but but overall, we have a deficiency in the number of slots and the deficiency of the number of physicians. Almost in all specialties, <clears throat> we have a physician shortage, particularly in primary care. Right, because and, and that's because at at the other end of the pipeline, when you get done. That's where the lowest pay is. Yeah. yeah, probably one of the most important positions and the lowest pay. So, and I, I, I might add also, I think actually, 
perhaps one of the hardest you know that that and, and, and I can say this as somebody who has done primary care for 25 years and now I'm in, in somewhat in a more specialized field of, of pain management which is difficult and challenging and really challenges me every day but when I'm in that practice setting my field of focus is so much narrower so there are just so many fewer things that I have to be expert on whereas in primary care there's just so much that you have to be on top of. It's, it's, it's incredibly challenging and difficult. Yeah, I, I had the same experience. I practiced primary care, and then later in my career, just practiced diabetes care. Um, and the, so the specialists are getting paid more. And really, it's almost, you know, between the two of us and everyone listening, it's a probably a little easier to be a specialist than it is a primary care doctor. And yet, the primary care doctors are getting paid a lot less. A yeah. uh, lot more to say about this, but why don't we, why don't we I, take I, a I break? I'll take here. a break, and we, I, we should we bring some other people into the conversation at some point. Sounds great. Evan, we've been talking a lot about our healthcare system and the problems with it, and it, it sort of begs the question for me of, are there examples that you can look at around the world where we can find uh, things that run a little bit better, way, ways that uh, uh, perhaps other countries have, have uh, looked at the healthcare issues and come up with better solutions than what we've sort of stumbled onto in this country? Bill, fantastic question, and, and funny that you, you ask that. Um, you know, the U.S. healthcare system, we spend more than any other country in the world, and the results that we get are pretty mediocre. You know, uh, life expectancy in the United States uh, is uh, very mediocre. It's around 79 years. Um, 
And one of the things that I, I teach this class at UMass Amherst on comparing uh, the U.S. to different health systems. And this past week, we were studying the country of Costa Rica. Costa Rica, small country down in Central America. Yeah, Bill, do you know that Costa Ricans live longer than Americans? I didn't know that. And they spend a fraction, a fraction of what we spend on health care. So uh, what do you attribute those differences to? Well, it's really interesting. Co Costa Rica is a you know, very small Latin American uh, country uh, in Central America. And they're, they're famous uh, for one thing, that uh, they, they actually don't have a, a military. Uh, and, and so a lot of people, when I start telling them about the results they have in their health care system, I often hear, well, the, yeah, they don't have an army, so th they put that money in, into health care. And that's just, it's just not true. So let's, we'll lay that uh, to rest. So, so they're, they're not, you know, in this country, a lot of people advocate to stay, take, take money out of the military, put it into health care, and then we'll solve the problem. But you're saying that they're... Their solution is different than just throwing more money at the problem. Exactly. And it's really not a financial issue. It is a really unique healthcare system in Costa Rica. They actually intentionally designed uh, an approach to healthcare where they would they merged their preventive healthcare, their public health system, and their curative healthcare delivery system all together they decided that they would merge these three components because they felt like that was the way in which they could use the, their money to the, the best purpose in creating a better preventive system with vaccinations, uh, with uh, primary care, and with uh, public health all merged together. And th the, the lesson for me from Costa Rica is intentional design. Right. In the United States, our system sort of came together by serendipity, right? We have these private healthcare insurers, we have these private healthcare systems, these large profit and non for profit health systems. And there really isn't a systematic approach, right? We have a lot of money, so we've created a lot of good infrastructure and technology, but the results that we get just are quite mediocre. So, so, uh, so I have a question here. So it, it's sort of like comparing this to our system. We have, we don't have much of a public health system in this country. We do have something of a public health system, but, but um, what are some of the things that would be included and incorporated into the public health model in Costa Rica that we don't include and incorporate into our public health model? Yeah, so I think here in the United States, we our systems are, are very separate, right? We have we have a healthcare delivery system, but it's completely separate. It's focused on what I would describe as a, a sick care system, right? It takes care of people once they're already sick. Yeah, actually, I, w I would probably even argue with the term system for it because it's it, it's so disorganized. Yes, it's true. Very very fragmented. So we have a sick care uh, healthcare delivery system, if you will. We have a separate social care system, right? So the systems for uh, supporting people with food and transportation and, uh, you know, uh, trying to help around uh, poverty and uh, 
homelessness, infant care, and uh, Child early childhood. Care. Exactly, care. a separate separate system, totally separate from the healthcare system. And then we have a public health system, which has really been focused on you know everything around sanitation and uh, water, clean water, and uh, to some extent uh, I- immunizations. If you look what happened in the pandemic. Uh, it was the public health system which really became responsible uh, for the immunizations. Uh, it's totally separate from the healthcare delivery system. Right, and was not very well prepared for that. Okay, so what do they do different in Costa Rica? So in Costa Rica, the first thing they said is everyone here is has universal health care. Everyone yeah. has a a doctor that they get assigned to, uh, and all insurance is paid for. So it's a, essentially it's a socialized healthcare system that the government pays for the healthcare and the government employs providers. But more importantly, everywhere you go, geographically, each individual is assigned to a primary care team. And that team is not just a doctor, but it's a team that's responsible for about 3,000 people in a certain in a community and on that team is the, a doctor a public health nurse a uh, a regular nurse a uh, data collector a social worker and this team and a pharmacist often this team is responsible for this panel of patients they uh, set up the clinic so you can come every day to be seen you can have appointments but they also do active outreach they know everyone on this panel of patients who's sick who's at risk who has someone in the family who's sick who's struggling with food insecurity and then they bring together the social care system as well and of course the preventive care and the vaccinations are all part of this system so they actually call these they're called ebais teams uh, and these EBAIS teams, that's E-B-A-I-S, um, which is an acronym in, in Spanish for, for these uh, teams, the, they create them for everyone in the country, has an EBAIS team to bring together these components. And as a result, the Costa Ricans have uh, a he- not only a healthcare delivery system, but they have a focus on support for th- all the social determinants of health, and preventive uh, measures as well. So for a family in Costa Rica, it sounds like if, you know, if a, a family member gets sick, they know just where they're going. They've got, they've, they've, they've got their EBAIS team there that they can uh, access. Um, if they're having uh, social challenges, for some reason uh, not enough food for the children or uh, challenges that way, it, would this team also be a resource for, for going to in that situation, or is there something different for them? Yeah, so the, the EBAIS teams and the pri- are the, a primary care team that offers you know first contact. That's everyone's first contact with the healthcare delivery system, the social care system, and the public health system. So they uh, will recognize uh, who's being challenged, perhaps by a social determinant, like uh, you mentioned, and then they will connect them. If it's not within their uh, EBAIS team's capability, they connect them uh, to other services. But it all happens together with this primary care team. And the team coordinates not only the, the, so the, the first contact, but they provide you know, comprehensive care for everyone. They, they coordinate the care, right? And, and it's continuous care from you know, throughout 
the life cycle as well from childhood into adulthood, uh, including uh, maternal child health. Uh, so it's, it's one approach. Now, downside of this, which of course people do criticize in America, we like our choice, right? Ah, I yeah. want to choose who my doctor is. I want to choose where I go. And absolutely a lot to be said for that. <clears throat> and they sacrifice some of that choice. Now, they've tried to modernize the system in Costa Rica. So you can choose if you don't like your particular assigned uh, primary care abais team, you can go to uh, one in a different neighborhood. Uh, so they're starting to, to create more choice. But that certainly was one of the trade-offs. Well, that, that is an interesting trade-off because um, that I think that that's true in a lot of situations where having greater choice f may feel better but but may not necessarily improve the outcome uh, that, that you're seeing down the road. Uh, so before we take a break, Bill, let me just say one thing. This, this system of healthcare in Costa Rica achieves better longevity. So people in Costa Rica live longer than those in the United States. They have a lower maternal mortality rate uh, than the United States. Uh, and they're doing this at a fraction of the cost. It's about $800 per capita, per, per person, uh, for a year, we're, we're at about $12,000 of what wow. we spend. Wow, so less than 10%. Wow, that, that's incredible. Let's take a break. Great. Nuestro se ha secado lentamente bajo el sol de todo un año. Fue largo terminarlo, pero ya estamos llegando al otro lado. Ahora si me dejas, quiero que al final crucemos una puerta más. Aquella que nos lleve a un lugar donde el pasado no nos duela. Vayámonos de viaje lejos por una última vez para encontrarnos sin recuerdos, sin nada que perder. Te espero en Costa Rica. Uh, te espero en Costa Rica. Nuestro se ha apagado tristemente a la sombra de un largo invierno. Tratamos de evitarlo, hicimos todo, pero nada tuvo efecto. Cariño, si me dejas, quiero que al final crucemos solo un puente más. Aquel que desemboque en un país donde el futuro no nos pesa. Vayámonos de viaje lejos por una última vez Para agarrarnos sin complejos, sin nada que esconder Te espero en Costa Rica Debajo de la luna 
que todo lo alumbrar Vamos a soltar nuestro amor En esta despedida En esta despedida Es nuestra despedida Vámonos, te espero en Costa Rica Pero en Costa Rica Casémonos en Costa Rica Por un rato De mentira Y finjamos que es perfecta nuestra vida Por un rato Porque no Al final me queda tu ciudadanía Y eso no está tan mal me queda tu ciudadanía Seamos realistas Siempre será mucho más fuerte que la mía Evan, I think you've got a story or an anecdote you want to tell me about? Well, Bill, you know, as people negotiate our healthcare system, there's all sorts of issues that come up. Uh, recently uh, had met someone who just moved uh, to the area and uh, they were complaining to me that uh, you know they haven't been feeling well for a little while they've had this uh, sort of chronic cough and uh, but they didn't have a physician in the area and they were asking me for advice of who would be a good physician uh, and I gave them some recommendations and they tried to call to get into a primary care physician uh, this person also hadn't been seen in a number of years by a physician, hadn't had uh, some of the routine uh, maintenance care done, um, and so really wanted to have a primary care physician and also to have this particular problem uh, addressed, this chronic cough. Um, they called uh, a couple of the recommendations I made, and they were told that uh, one is a primary care physician not taking any new patients at all, just won't take any new patients. Uh, the second one said they are taking new patients, but it was an eight-month wait uh, to get in to see. Uh, so this person called me back and said, you know, what should I do? My cough is actually getting a little worse. Uh, and I said, well, you know, I think you really should be seen by primary care. You need to get into the system. You've got some other health maintenance things to look at. Uh, and they said, but I really want to be managed. So I said, well, we could try to get you in directly with a pulmonologist. Um, you know, just to begin a workup. So they called the, the lo couple of local pulmonologists. They had, both of them had a four-month wait. Uh, and finally, this uh, person said, well, I, I have no choice. Uh, this is getting worse. And they went to the emergency room. Emergency room or, or, well, there, there probably would have been an urgent care they could have possibly gone to. But, but yeah, emergency room, that's where a lot of the care goes when there's yeah. not enough primary care. Yep. So, so it, it really got me thinking, uh, how did we get into this mess? We have uh, you know, a problem with wait times. And uh, a lot of this, we have a physician shortage. Uh, in in the country uh, and uh, you know a, a, an access problem uh, to our healthcare system. Yeah, well, you know, I can say a couple things about this. First of all, that that you know you mentioned a lot this person wanting a primary care physician. So, a lot of the primary care providers in in our area, and I think in many parts of the country, are are, are not all just physicians. There are nurse practitioners. There are physician assistants. And that has been a response that's been gradually increasing over the last, uh, I would say, probably 30 years, maybe longer than that. Um, and uh, um, 
it, it, and so there are, you're right, there are fewer and fewer of the primary care providers now are physicians, and there's still a shortage of, uh, as evidenced by what your, what your friend found. Yeah, I, you know, I was, so I was looking a little bit of how we got here, and, you know, the history is interesting, is that the, the, um, the American Medical Association for a long time has fought to increase the number of uh, slots in medical schools um, and in residency programs. Uh, you know, there was a report, like in the 1980s, which actually... Uh, showed that there was going to be a surplus of physicians in the United States. And that really spooked the American Medical Association, which is, while its mission says it's to improve the health of the population, really is protecting physicians' uh, salaries. Um, and they, as a result of this report, really started lobbying to uh, decrease the number of uh, slots in medical schools and residencies, uh, essentially trying to curb what could be a surplus. Uh, and it sent us down this path of uh, really developing a, a significant shortage of physicians. Well, you know, it, you know, it's such a complex issue, but one of the things that's gone on over the last 50 years is there have been so many advances in, me in medicine, so many uh, additional specialized procedures and interventions that can be done, and, the, and these have been great, great for healthcare. They're, they're, they've provided some great benefit. But what it's meant is that a lot of the care that at one time might have happened in a primary care office is now moving out of primary care office, that increases the demand for specialists. When the demand for specialists increases, uh, they tend to get higher pay, and that in the training programs, the, 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 the physician trainees and other trainees are not unaware of that, so that they will uh, uh, move towards specialty cares, which are higher paid. Exactly. So when physicians coming out of medical school have a lot of debt and they're looking at their future, they're saying, well, you know, I'll be, I'll go, I'll be a specialist. I, I'll get paid more. Uh, so we have fewer people going into primary care, uh, which, is, which is a big challenge. Uh, and also, our, you know, we've seen, and there's good research that has shown that a healthcare system based on a strong cornerstone of primary care, where primary care physicians ha can help coordinate uh, care that can create comprehensive and more patient-centered care, is a better experience for patients and results in actually better outcomes. You see this in Scandinavian countries, you know, where about half the physicians are primary care physicians and half are specialists. In the United States, we're about two-thirds specialists and one-third primary care. Yeah, and, it, you know, it, and, and I mean, I would make an argument from having done it that primary care, I think, is, is the hardest job because you have to be well-versed in so many different fields to, you know, to practice primary care, and you can have so many different things coming at you in a given day uh, in, in the office, so many, so many different things, and and you're also, you're sort of the, the, the last line. You know, when the specialist says, well, you know, uh, nothing more I can do for you, go back to your primary care, then, you know, then you've got to figure out, well, where, where do we go from here? It's very challenging. And, you know, one of the interesting things is that, that 
with the move to you know to have more nurse practitioners in you know in primary care has been you know has helped to ease the the uh, the shortage of primary care providers. But one of the things that happens is that for nurse practitioners, um, it's actually pretty easy for a nurse practitioner to move from doing a primary care job to move into a specialist office once they have some some you know background in clinical experience and they recognize the same thing that physicians are recognizing primary care is a hard yeah. job and yep. and if you're if you're you know board certified as as an internist or or, or particularly as a family practitioner primary care is what you're going to do there, there aren't a lot of other choices out there you know if if you're if you're an internist you can go and and, and get a specialty in another field um, but if you're a nurse practitioner, it's a lot easier to change fields, I, I think, you know, and, and uh, because I've certainly seen that in my work in the VA that some of the, you know, I see great primary care nurse practitioners and the next thing I know, they're not doing primary care anymore. They're, they're doing dermatology, they're doing urology, they're doing something different. So, yeah. so you know, I'd say just to, to sum up where we are, we have uh, a shortage overall of physicians, you know, in the country, both specialty and primary care. We've got an expensive medical education system that's limiting the number of uh, slots of uh, students who can become physicians. Uh, we've got physicians coming out of medical school who are preferentially choosing specialty over primary care. Uh, you know, and the result is uh, a shortage of physicians overall, but a particular shortage of uh, primary care and a system which is no longer based on primary care, much more patient-centered uh, approach, uh, and it results in longer wait times and poorer outcomes and, and higher costs. Why, you know, we, one of the reasons we have such higher costs in our system. So this is sort of how we got here. And I, I think, Bill, what we'll do is we'll, let's take a break here. And uh, another time, let's come back to what we think could be some of the solutions to solving uh, this, this crisis. Let's do that. When I call you up, your line's engaged. I have had enough, so act your age. We have lost the time that was so hard to find, and I will lose my mind if you.
Rubber Soul. Um, you won't people. see me, Bill. That was kind of kind of perfect uh, talking about physician shortages, and you won't see me. But hopefully, we're going to make some changes in the health system, and you will be able to be seen by your physician. That will be nice when that happens. So, Bill, um, you know we've been uh, putting out our email out there, care talk at valleyfreeradio.org and asking folks to write in and tell us uh, their thoughts about health and health care. Uh, did we get any uh, emails, Bill? Yeah, well, we got some fan mail. There are actually still one or two of my relatives that haven't sent us fan mail yet. But um, we also got, got this email. Uh, Dear Quick and Quack, Child poverty was cut in half by federal COVID-era programs, including the expanded child care credit. Now these programs have been stopped and child poverty and food insecurity are spiking. How does this affect and interact with our health care system? Fondly, Mother Mallard. And I just want to clarify that Mother Mallard is not truly my mother. She passed away a while ago. But, but Mother Mallard, what a question. That is a, a complex, complex issue. I, I think Mother Mallard is uh, playing off of quick and quack and, and we'll, we'll take it. We'll take the joke. Uh, you know, this is really a huge issue um, in the just time that we have remaining here. I, I can just set it up. But, Bill, I think we should come back and really do a whole show on this. This really, really talks about the interaction between uh, social determinants of health and, uh, and medical uh, care. What we see is the United States spends very little on social care. We spend much more on health care. You know, we, uh, we've talked about being a sick care system more than a health care system. And if our goal really is to have health, right, not health care, our goal is to have health, we have to think about everything that goes into health, which, of course, where you live, how you live, the food that you have, uh, you know, everything from transportation to child care to housing and nutrition, these are become so important. So I think we'll come back to this and talk about this interaction between social care and health care. As you may 
have surmised by now, this is not National Public Radio. We know you have lots of choices of how to spend your time. Well, thanks for wasting your time listening to Care Talk. This show would not be possible without the stellar support of our malpractice attorney, Heidi Evidence, our chief urology consultant, Dr. Lee King, our chief diagnostician, Dr. Hanno I. Deer, our director of telephonic complaints, Don Enser, our gastroenterology consultant, Isabel E. Tender, our director of efficiency, Artie Dunn, or, and our surgery consultant, Dr. Anita Cut, And finally, our chief audio engineer, Don Ho, what to do. See you next week. And I just want to remind our listeners again that you've been listening to Care Talk with Quick and Quack on WXOJLP Northampton, a wonderful radio station where we have our fun drive coming up next week. If you go to valleyfreeradio.org, you'll find the donate button. And please do donate to this station and keep great shows on the air here. Thanks very much for listening.